Welcome to The Soapbox. My name is Chris Kraft. And I'm Micah Davis. We want to have conversations spanning everything from philosophy to finance, and we want you to join us. Our goal on this podcast is to share new perspectives on old ideas, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Soapbox. And me and Micah Davis are going to have some fun today because we're going to tackle a subject that we've been asked several times to talk about. Yes. And uh, I, I would give some specific shout-outs, but I think it would take too long. Most likely. So just for for some of our listeners who may not come from the uh, Judeo-Christian persuasion, this is going to be specifically on religion and some religious doctrine. And I'm going to encourage you to listen anyways, even if you have a belief system that doesn't necessarily believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world um, or, or believe biblical truth necessarily, which I would encourage you, again, dig into your own personal belief systems and learn why you believe what you believe. But I'm going to encourage you to listen anyways, A, because what's the goal of our podcast, right, is to give new perspectives on old ideas. And what we're going to be talking about today is a discussion that's been going on for literally millennia. Um, from people who are a lot smarter than us. Yes. <laughs> but, so we are not going to be tackling this subject today, trying to find answers, trying to convince anyone of anything. We're simply going to have a conversation like we always do, encourage you, our listeners, to join the conversation. So today we're going to dive into the idea of Arminianism versus Calvinism. That's so, a mouthful. It is. So, Michael, why don't you kind of give us an explanation of each so, so people who may not have an idea of the $40 words will understand a little bit better. Okay, so the basic... Um outlook of Arminianism is that human humans have free will humans have free will and um, that if I was to paint a picture of it that humans reach up as God's hand reaches down and we kind of initiate or God initiated contact with us and we take his gift of salvation so it's more free will heavy it's more free will involved with Calvinism it's more like God reached down and scooped us up and we were chosen by God, handpicked, um, to be saved from sin in the world. So in one, you have a very heavy focus on free will. That's Arminianism. And in the other, you have a very heavy focus on the sovereignty of God, and that's Calvinism. And essentially what these two doctrines will argue over is uh, what I would call extremes of one or the other. That's a good way to put it. Uh, they're not very – in their in their logic, in their um, – Purity, I guess you would call in their pure forms. Their Arminianism is very purely free will, and Calvinism is very purely sovereignty of God. Um, and my belief is that extremes are never really that accepted, except for in your belief in Jesus, because that's what he calls us to is extremism for him. So, anyway. So, so the argument really comes in if God's will is sovereign, as in all powerful, as in we don't have a choice then that flies in the face, quote-unquote, it can. Right. People see it as flying in the face of free will. An attack on free will, essentially, yeah. And then from the Arminian side, if if God is if God gives us full free will, then really how powerful is God? Right. So if you tell a Calvinist, like, hey, you know, mankind's free will allows him to accept the, great, the gift of salvation, then the Calvinist is going to be like, oh, but the sovereignty of God. And then if you tell an Arminian, hey, you know, God chose people to be saved from their sins they're gonna be like oh but free will and and so you have kind of these responses to questions that um the bible kind of raises but i think the scriptures are being read in a very narrow way when they should be a little bit more broadly applied yeah and and 
it's probably good to have a little disclaimer slash premise here to, to talk about that in our podcast, we're not going to have a goal of um, taking sides on either of the extreme. No. Odds are probably what we're going to go into is offering a little bit from both sides because there, there are things in our in our Christian faith that we take as non-negotiables. They are hills to die on. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He was fully man when he came to earth, died as a sacrifice for our sins to redeem us to God, right? So so some of those things are non-negotiables. But when you start talking about baptism, is it sprinkle? Is it dunk? Is it non? <laughs> is it required for salvation? Well, like, can we and, baptize children? Can yeah, we not? Should, should we baptize infants? How should, long do we have to hold them under? Yeah, well, that, that's just until they have, until they start fighting. Right? As long as long as the air bubbles keep coming up. <laughs> I like that. So so th- there's a lot of gray. There's so many. There's so many gray areas that I think sometimes we take to be black and white. Yeah. And 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 the way that I described it to somebody this morning was sometimes we zoom in so much to we'll, we'll zoom in on a particular area and we'll forget our our responsibility in the big scope of the Christian walk, right? Right. So so we, we really can't get too zoned in, zoned in on this. A couple books I'm going to throw out at the beginning instead of the end is my number one when it comes to this subject is called The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Mm-hmm. It is the, the best book on the study of God and who God is. And he, what he literally says in there is we as human beings, we think that God thinks like we do. Therefore, it has to be one or the other, right? right. So I'm just going to throw this out early and then we can talk about it. He said, he said, God is much bigger than we are. So for us, we have almost split the church up into camps. Yep. Right. So a one of the things I'm going to say is in Proverbs, I think chapter five says the things, the list of the things God hates is it says a a tongue that separates brethren. Mm -hmm. So one of the things I'm going to say is we need to be careful in the church that we don't start tampering into things that God hates by separating each other on things that truly don't matter. Because I believe in this instance, either way we need to, and we can go into this more, but we need to start living like we have free will and let God's sovereignty take care of the rest. Right. And one thing before we also jump into the discussion a little bit more is that um, we need to watch out for arguments that are kind of useless. Thank you. My my opinion, and this I'm going to go ahead and throw my opinion out here at the beginning, spoiler alert, <laughs> that Arminianism and Calvinism, there's something in between that God understands and we can't. And That's awesome. either That's way, sense. you're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. What does it matter how? What does it matter whether you're chosen or whether you choose? Either way, God's saving you by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what matters to me is that you're saved. Exactly. Right? Now, and when we talk about extremes, that's when we start getting into danger. We'll talk about this later. but And this may be a little bit longer podcast than usual. But it's the idea of when you get to extremes, that's when you start saying, well, because I have free will, who cares about what God says? Yeah. Or if you have the extreme. So I totally agree with you. There is something in the middle that we don't understand that God does. And what really matters is the biblical idea of salvation. Right. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So those ideas, we have to keep those central. Yeah. We've got to keep the main thing the main thing and not get into these stupid arguments right. that people get in that separate people. Because to be honest, I kind of consider myself a four and a half point Calvinian. There you go. Kind of both. You know, it's like there's there's something that I I read Ephesians where some of the scriptures will come from about predestination and being selected from before the formation and the foundation of the earth. But it's like that could be talking about all of humanity, though, not just necessarily individuals. (laughs) And so it's like, well, if all of humanity is predestined, duh, God created us to be in fellowship with him. That was our initial 
purpose was to be in fellowship with God. Free sin. Right. And then we broke that with bringing sin into the world. And then we decided to keep on sinning as a species. So we got here. And um, I just think it's really funny that we can read verses. And like, I, I don't mean to attack either side, but I feel like sometimes when you get so hyper extreme on one end or the other, you end up attacking, you end up attacking and you end up reading scriptures very narrowly. You end up looking into the scripture, such as the start of Ephesians, where it talks about, you know, God predestined man before the foundation of the earth. And it's like, well, you start reading that so narrowly. He predestined a man. And it's like, no, not necessarily a man, mankind, to be in fellowship with him forever. You know, um, is it First Peter that talks about the Lord tarries? Not that he wishes anyone to perish, but so that more, so, yeah. more may, be, may come to him. It's like, that's why, you know, I believe that it's predestined all mankind. He wants everyone to come to him, but there's some aspect of free will that's keeping everyone from coming to him. It is. And and, and the fact that we even have a statement that says, I mean, three-point Calvinist, four-point, four-and-a-half-point. Like, <laughs> four-and-a-half-point. Just the idea that we even have that says that we separate ourselves into camps, that I don't know that God ever – we don't know if Jesus was a three-point, five-point. Like, we – he never labels himself, or and, and of course yeah, I I, that was pre John Calvin, and I, I I get it, but <laughs> but I don't I don't remember Jesus talking much about the predestination versus not predestination. Do you, you know? Let's let's think about those verses there. Yeah. Jesus said, "Hey, I picked you out. Uh, you know, John, you're you're my disciple, and you have no choice." I don't remember that really happening in the Bible. I just remember him calling people, and, and then them following. Yeah. And it makes, you know, thinking about these kinds of things makes me wonder, because we know that the Bible gives us details, but it doesn't give us all the details, right? right? Like, for instance, we know that Adam and Eve had Cain, Abel, and Seth, but there's some female names missing there that had <laughs> to have happened for the human species to propagate at some right, point. Exactly. So we know that there were other kids, too. Or, or I, that's my belief. Well, it's that's a, my infirmity. It's the same idea with Noah, right? Right. It, with, with Noah, it, we has, he has three sons, but yeah, we we yeah. infer they had wives, and we read it like in one scripture, and then it's yeah. like, oh look, they had wives, and then it just moves on. <laughs> but like, it makes me wonder. Well, how many people did Jesus call if twelve followed? Because he could have called, for all we know, 10,000. He could have walked around all of Jerusalem or Bethlehem or Nazareth or just walked the entire Sea of Galilee calling people until he got the 12. It's funny you mentioned that. I I had the same conversation with somebody this morning. I asked her, I said, have you ever had this thought? How many people passed by the burning bush and refused God's call before Moses? That's an interesting thought too, yeah. There, it, it was in the middle of a field. Like, I mean, I know the Prince of Egypt shows that he had to get through a cave <laughs> and a everything, cave. right? So, but literally, the idea of yeah, we, we st- it's still biblical that we have to choose sometimes. Like, that's yeah. the idea of. So, let me go and throw this out now because we talked about this beforehand. Unless you had any other points there. Oh no! no Again, no, no, th- this no. is just a fluid conversation. Yeah. So, so Kevin DeYoung in a book called Just Do Something, he okay. brings up an idea that's talked about in other places. So I'm not saying he came up with it, but it's the most recent one I've read, so I'm going to give him credit, right? So he talks about God's will. The idea of the book is just do something, right? Quit yeah. praying for God's will for years and years and years and thinking that God's will is for you to be in status until he calls you out of a burning bush, right? Yeah. So the idea is just go do something. So it's a great book. Great book, A for Millennials. I would encourage you, if you're a millennial, go read that book. He talks straight to you in a lot of ways. I'm on the corner of, uh, I'm, I'm 1982 is when I was born. So I was born in the year that. Right at the start. Generation right? X versus millennial, right? Yeah. 
So he said, God's will is really split up. If This is a good way to look at it. And honestly, I've kind of adopted this as my belief system because I think it's very biblical. It's a great idea without straying to the extremes. He says, there's God's will of decree. There's Then there's God's will of desire. Then there's God's will of direction. So his will of decree, he says, are things that God says are going to happen. This is where we could go to the quote unquote extreme of Calvinism where these are the things that will happen. I think about biblical examples. The children of Israel would be freed, right? They're going to be free. Moses, I'm calling you to do it. If you don't, they're going to be freed because this is my will of decree. I think of Esther. My wife just taught about Esther. And Mordecai says, says don't you think that if you ignore this time, that you're going to be saved because you're in the king's palace? Because Mordecai said, you need to go stand before the king. She says, but if he doesn't hold out his scepter, I'm going to die. And he said, don't think that, like... Haman's going to kill all the Jews. Don't think you're safe because you're in the king's palace. And he says this. He says, freedom for the Jews will come. But if you don't take advantage, then you and your family will not be saved. In other words, God's God's will of decree will come. But are you going to take your free will to be part of it? So that that's the idea of God's will of decree is his sovereign will that will happen. And he will make sure it gets done one way or the other. And here's something else to think about. And I, this just hit me this week, too. I believe that the plagues in, in Exodus would have continued until Pharaoh let his people go. Mm-hmm. We say there was 10 like that was God's plan. I think if Pharaoh would have let them go after two, he would, he would have released them and God would have gone to 100. It's the idea my people will be released and I will make sure that your hard heart happens like you will crack. So then God's will of desire, that would be considered every scripture verse that teaches you how to live. This is God's desire on how you should live. Go and spit some of those out for me, like a, well, I know a, that anything the, in the Bible. The big two, right, that Jesus talks about is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. And we know that those two encompass all the law because Jesus said so. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, you've got the Ten Commandments. Um, you've got pretty much the entire book of Leviticus. You've got a lot of scriptures now in Romans, First and Second Corinthians, right, that Paul talks about First Corinthians church. 13 is the love chapter. Yeah. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Right. And then you've got um, 1 Corinthians 14 is the fruits of the Spirit, or the uh, gifts of the Spirit, and how you should use those. Right. Not 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 a, you can use them however you want, but hey, here's the confines that we need to use these in to be respectful of the gifts that God's given us. Yep. Then I think 1 Corinthians 7 that talks about marriage and how we, so yeah. all of those things fall under God's will of desire. Here's how we want you to live. Then God's will of direction would be, what is my calling? How are you going to use my passions my gifts for, but here's my question. A, are you trusting God's will of decree? Mm, mm -hmm. B, are you intentionally acting on God's will of desire? And if not, don't even go to C, right? There's no need for us to wonder, God, what's your will of direction for my life? Are you trusting his will of decree, his heart? Um, I think Kevin DeYoung makes a statement. He says, even if you don't know the future, you need to trust God like he actually does control it. Yeah, (laughs) it's like we need to trust God. Like, okay, I'm going to trust that whatever now. But here's the problem, I think. and, And I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. I believe that we think that God's will of decree includes if I turn left or right at a light. Like, like literally to where we think God's will of decree is okay, because that's where we start questioning. Yeah. Well, what about, and we start questioning man's free will. And, and so, cause the question we all hear is if God is a good God, that's full of love. Why does he let good things happen to bad people? Well, or bad things happen to or good bad people. things happen to good people, like good things happen to bad people, bad things happen to good people. And so, but I think we're zoomed in way too close. 
we're wondering why God doesn't control free will. Instead, if we zoom back and realize, like when people talk about why does sin still exist, I'm like, you realize, A, like you said earlier, God didn't invent, God didn't create this world with sin. Sin happened outside of his perfect will. Right. But then when sin happened, what did he do? A, he set up a plan for redemption. And B, he said, I'm going to create a world where there is no sin that you're going to come join me one day. He's done everything he can, right? Mm -hmm. He's done everything he can outside of taking the free will out of man's heart. Right. So in his sovereign will, his will of decree, he's, he's got it all set up. Well, and if God eliminates sin, he eliminates us. There you go. As we, as we stand right now, you know, he eliminates everyone on the planet who hasn't accepted Jesus grace. And uh, like we just said with, the, with, I think it's first Peter where he says, you know, I'm waiting. Go look I'm it up pa- for yourself. <laughs> I'm patient, you know? Yeah. I'm waiting for as many as possible to be saved because I don't want to have to destroy people who were coming to me eventually. Right. Um, so, yeah. And, and then I think it's really cool, too, that obviously DeYoung had Matthew 633 as part of his um, influence on that hierarchy, right? Of will of decree, will of desire and will of direction. Direction. Thank you. And I think. Uh, you know, Matthew six thirty three says, um, seek first the kingdom of heaven and all these things will be given to you as well. And I think that too many times we focus so much on all these things instead of seeking the kingdom of heaven. Which is what the previous verses talk about. Right. Why do you worry about clothes? Why do you worry about food? Does he not feed the sparrows? Does he not take care of the dress, the lilies and the prettiest He's garments? All these examples. Yeah. Yeah. And, and don't um, you think you matter more than all of those things? Yeah. And I think with the will of decree, when we think about, oh, should I turn left or right of the light? We even take, and please understand me when I say this, we even take quote unquote big decisions that probably have very little to do with God's will of decree, such as where should I go for college? Mm-hmm. Or should I take this job? Should I buy this car? Agreed. And it's not that the Bible doesn't inform us on how to make those decisions. It's that we ask God to directly tell us as if it's part of his grand design for the redemption of human beings that you'll go to, you know, University of Alabama instead of Tennessee. And then the guilt comes because we have too many options and we're scared to death about choosing because what if we choose wrong? Exactly. And this is where a false belief that I believe needs broken is. You... All right, <laughs> let's just kind of. This go is here. why it's called the soapbox. This is why it's called the soapbox. So here's one of my soapboxes. I and I'm I'm just gonna be I'm just gonna be straight. I trust God's will of decree, and I have not mastered any of this, right? So I'm not claiming that I mastered this, but this is what I'll tell you. I do not pray for the vast majority of decisions that I make. Here's why: A, I trust God's will of decree, and when I say that, I mean for the big picture, right? I have no clue what his big picture is. It's not my responsibility to fix the big picture. My responsibility is to fix my, to, to as much as possible, live out his will and of desire in my own life. And in that I get the honor to be part of his will of decree in this world. I could almost cry just thinking about that. If we really let ourselves think about it, we get to be part of the big picture, right? Yeah. What, what part we play doesn't even matter, but we get to be part in his picture. Exactly. It's his is history, right? So, but when it comes to his will of desire, my goal is to live every day that I can with Romans 12 to do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I want to live there. I want to live with the fruit of the spirit, love and joy and peace and all these things being in my life. Therefore, if I live God's will of desire to the best of my ability, I, I am not, here's what it comes down to. I am not of the belief system and I don't see it in scripture that we can accidentally fall out of the hand and the will of God. Mm. I believe we have to reject it 
walk away from it and turn around. And I'm not even talking about salvation. Right. Because people are like, well, what about once you've always saved? Let's just, that's not, that's a whole other podcast. I'm talking about in this case, I am a, I am following Jesus as my Lord, which means that I am following his principles and his precepts to base my daily decisions on. If you want to take out the churchy language of justification and sanctification, right? right. I'm choosing biblical principles and the principles of Jesus Christ and how I live my daily life. Therefore, I believe also scripture says that the Lord will guide, guide the steps of the man who seeks after his heart, right? So why do I need to pray for God to guide my steps? I'll tell you what I really pray for. I pray that my eyes will be open when he does. Yeah. That's my prayer. I remember a few years ago, I was facing an issue. My, and I apologize for taking the stage here for, no, my, for my soapbox. But I remember a few years ago, I was, I had, I was looking for something in my life. Financially, we were struggling. Um, in my personal growth, I was struggling. I didn't have a mentor. And I'm like, and I started praying a prayer. I said, God, open up doors of opportunity, which I know you will. Mm-hmm. And B, I specifically prayed this every day. Give me courage to walk through the door when it opens, right? Because that's what I needed. I'm already living in his will of desire as much as I possibly can. And when he shows me I'm not because I haven't mastered it, I want to fix it. So I'm there. I'm I'm under his umbrella of protection. I, I don't have to worry about these things according to Matthew 6, right? Yeah. So when it comes down to it, I'm praying that I see it. God gave me a company that I tied into, gave me mentors. Our financial situation is a thousand times better because I prayed the right prayer. Mm-hmm. And it's not it's not just praying a prayer fixes things. Is that I want to get my focus where his focus is. And his focus is on Chris, live out my will of desire and I'll direct your life as a byproduct. Right. And, and I, I love the idea that prayer is not about necessarily changing God's mind, although we have seen in the Bible a few times yep. where it has. But prayer is also about resetting your mindset and your focus on, God, what do you want? Yep. Yep. Not yep. what is best for me. Like we see in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus, right? He is praying, sweating blood, trying to, to ask God, can you find any other way that I don't have to go face this cross because I really don't want to? And we see that God's mind isn't changed, but Jesus says, but not my will, yours to be done, right? He's asking God, please change my mindset and get me focused on the fact that this is what needs to be done. No other option. You know, no other option. And I think that that is something that's twofold. And again, one of those things where people take extremes on, right? Where people say, well, prayer is about changing the prayer person, the the person who prays, and prayer is about, or prayer is about changing God's mind. And it's like, why not and both? Mm Mm-hmm. Instead of either or, let's do, you know what? Sometimes prayer changes God's mind. We see that in the Bible. But sometimes, most of the time, actually, we see that it changes the person who's praying so that their mindset and their focus is on the things of God. Right? That's so good. I've heard heard prayer being used like a radio dial, right? To where you're tuning in to God's train of thought. And so coming all the way back to Arminianism and Calvinism, who cares? <laughs> like, like let, let's let's just totally throw it out there. Who cares? What, what a? Why are we so divisive about it? And did God really intend for us to be this divisive about it? Is it? Is this His will? No. Is this His will of desire? The, I know the one thing that He intends for us to be divisive about, and the person Himself says it, and that's Jesus, who said, "I've come to divide mother from from daughter, and father from son, and brother from brother, and sister from sister, and and He has come because He." Jesus is the dividing line. Jesus is the dividing line, right? He's the one that if you're going to have a real problem with the way someone treats someone, it should be over the 
person of Jesus right. and the work of Jesus and the life of Jesus and his identity and who we understand him to be. That should be the person who is the dividing line, right? And his life was a divisive one. And I love how C.S. Yes. Lewis says, <laughs> I love what C.S. Lewis, it's one of my favorite quotes of all time. You can't think that Jesus was a good man who lies. Jesus, like who, who said he's Lord, he's either Lord, he's, or he's a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord, one of the three. Right. Like, and he, he cannot be but like two he can't be or two. three. No, he would, if, if he was a, he can't be a good man who claimed to be the Messiah. Right. He had to be a lunatic, right? Or he had to be a liar. Because he killed a lot of people. He, yeah, exactly. If, if, if you want to believe that, that he was a good person, well, his claims about being God killed a lot of people. Exactly. So he, uh, yeah, I, I, love, I love how you said that, how he's the divisive one. Not that he was divisive, but people's ideas about him should be the divisive line and not Calvinism versus Arminianism. So what our soapbox really is on this, since we're kind of getting close to done here, is stop fighting over small picture things that in the view of eternity is causing more issues than solving something. If you're going to get in a discussion with someone, A, make sure you agree on the important things and just have a good time. Like this is a conversation we have with people at church, but it's not to get in an argument to, and I've heard it said, the man or woman con- uh, convinced against their will is of the same opinion still. Right. We're not. You need to quit trying to convince someone against their will and just talk about, let's zoom out. Let's yeah. just zoom out. Let's talk about the big picture of God, how much of an honor it is to be part in this plan at all, and quit trying to figure his mind out. We're never going to figure his mind out. Exactly. And you can have fun conversations about these kinds of things, right? Like I know you and I could, could talk and play devil's advocate about either <laughs> side and stuff, but the problem is whenever you start taking those arguments and making them the center of your attention and like every day is just researching okay, why is Calvinism better than Arminianism or the other way around? It's like, well, how about you learn who Jesus is and that should inform your opinion about Calvinism versus Arminianism. That's great. Um, the only book recommendation I have is is Doctrine by Mark Driscoll and Jerry Bashirs. They have a great, um, it's like 14 chapters and each one covers a different um, central doctrine to Christianity. Cool. And they actually talk about predestination, but I like that they approach it from both sides. They're like, look, it doesn't matter what your belief in predestination is, whether it's all of man or each individual Christian, but God did predestine human beings to be in relationship with him. So that's fantastic. The one thing I'm going to throw out is just a reminder. Terry Brady is a lady who's a leadership speaker. And one of the things she says is you only have, and this is what I'm going to, I'll give you the whole context. She's speaking to women about marriage and she makes a statement that has to do with this. She says, and she's speaking to women, and she says, women, I want to tell you, your husbands only have a certain amount of mental energy. Do you want them to spend that mental energy fighting you or fighting for your future? Mm-hmm. Because they can do one or the other. They don't have enough mental energy to do both. So I have these couples who are constantly fighting each other. They're not fighting for their future. They're in stalemate, just running in a crazy cycle, right? And that's what we do with our Christian brothers and sisters. And that's what we do with Christians, brothers and sisters. We realize this as our listeners, as our dear listeners, you only have so much mental energy. Do you really want to zoom in and argue and focus on Calvinism versus Arminianism, or would you rather zoom out and be part of God's big picture kingdom and take the honor upon yourself to go do something massive for the kingdom? So we do hope that you've enjoyed today's podcast. Remember, the world does not need another artificial copy. The world needs an original you. Stand on your soapbox. Go change the world. We'll see you next time.